0: Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech.
2: You are tuned to the nighttime podcast focused on the fringe of Canada.
0: During my time covering dark Canadian stories here on Nighttime, I've come across a lot. Missing persons cases, unsolved crimes, acts of mass murder, both attempted and carried out. But every so often, I cover a story that simply stops me in my tracks. Tonight's episode is going to be one of those such cases. Amanda Todd was still a child when she began to share her love of singing with viewers around the world on YouTube. Perhaps she was hopeful that she'd be discovered like Justin Bieber, another young Canadian YouTuber recently had. But in the end, just like Justin, Amanda too found a sort of fame as a result of sharing her talents on YouTube. But tragically, Amanda Todd is now known around the world not for her voice or for her charm, but as a cautionary tale about the evils that lurk all around us. One of the people who was moved by Amanda's performances, managed to sneak into her personal life and infiltrate her inner circle. When Amanda shared an intimate photo, this anonymous predator would begin an odyssey of sextortion, harassment, and cyber-stalking that would only end in Amanda's death. Since then, at least 50 million people have heard Amanda's story, largely as a result of a viral video she made shortly before her death. In this video, shot on a webcam and in black and white, Amanda shares her heartbreaking story by flipping through a series of index cards as she visibly sobs. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, we're going to hear Amanda's story by someone who has stood by Amanda's throat at all and still to this day carries on her search for justice and continues her legacy. Our guest tonight is Amanda Todd's mother, And the well known internet safety and mental health advocate, Ms. Carol Tyne.
1: Amanda Todd was just 15 years old when she took her own life on October 2012. The Port Coquitlam teen posted this video on YouTube describing how she met someone online. He told her she was beautiful, and she agreed to flash him. A year later, the image was posted on social media. She was victimized online and bullied at school.
2: He did more than cyberbully. I don't even—I don't even want to call it that. He cyber victimized young girls. He cyber intimidated young girls. He extorted and harassed these young girls.
0: For people who who haven't met you or, or don't know what you're up to today, why don't you just give me a short introduction of. of... Who you are, and you know, and what you're doing today.
2: Who am I? Uh, my name is Carol Todd. I'm the mother of Amanda Todd, who died by suicide in October of 2012. My other life is that I am an educator in British Columbia, and I love working with kids. It's special,
0: um, and very much an advocate. I even in my credits, I, I refer to you as an advocate for mental health and internet safety. Is that is that fair to say? Do you see yourself filling that role?
2: I think so. When you look at Amanda's story, um, her story encompassed bullying, cyberbullying, exploitation, and ultimately mental health. And I created the legacy um, in her namesake and in her memory um, based on all the things that encompassed her story. Mm-hmm.
0: I think a lot of people will hear your story and assume that this happened to Amanda and from there you became an advocate for the various things we just mentioned. But it, it seems like you you had a background in this sort of work, even before this happened to Amanda as an educator working with with young children. Like it seems like the position Amanda ended up in, a lot of parents would be less prepared than than you were with you, with your background, I would think.
2: Well, my education degree is in special education. So Mm -hmm. in the 35 years I've been teaching, I've been working with children with complex needs and with learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. And in the last 10 years, I I took on a role in my school district as a um, coordinator for assistive technology. So putting technology into the hands of kids with unique differences, right? Okay. Um, So I was, I'm, I was well-versed in the realms of technology and what it would bring. Also, Amanda had learning disabilities. So she had a language-based learning disability and she was ADHD. And um, even though I'm a a teacher mom, um, my kids attended the same elementary school that I taught at. Mm. And we noticed that Amanda was frustrated a lot in in well she was frustrated a lot in her daycare preschool um and then in kindergarten and grade one that inability to um process language so Mm. I had her assessed and she came up with a learning disability at the end of grade one which is very rare because I'm not sure what it's like in your province but in our province it's uh um and a psych assessment isn't recommended until the end of grade three, so knowing that Amanda had these these difficulties and challenges early um, was a good thing. And so, as best I could, I was able to advocate for her um, with with tutors to get her up to speed, um, which which never really happened because her processing was so skewed that um, she just she just had problems understanding language if it was spoken too fast or
3: huh.
2: in colloquial terms, right? Okay. Which which I believe affected her as she grew up in processing language with her peers. Like, you know how fast girls especially talk, right? Mm-hmm. And so things just whipped back and forth and um, Amanda struggled, but being, As proud as she was, um, she would never let on that she would um, not understand or have have difficulties in school and in her social life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about it, I, I started to understand why she was misbehaving in class. And so, if you misbehave in class, the teacher asks you to leave, and then you don't have to show that you don't know what's going on.
3: Hmm. And, and it's, a and it's bit funny, an escape. yeah.
2: It is an escape, and I didn't realize how it really affected her until we were at the movies one night, and uh, we had gone. I don't know if you remember when the Twilight series.
0: Absolutely, came out, right. I'm, I'm on team Team Edward. I don't know if you're familiar with the characters. <laughs>
2: I'm on Team Edward too, um, and so so we were watching the movie, and I don't know which episode it was, right? But it's it's very fast moving and and switching, right, to to all the different characters and storylines and plots. And halfway through it, Amanda said to me, "Mom, it's going so fast. Can you can you help me understand what's going on?" And it was at that point that it just kind of I realized that this is how her brain works, right? If it's going too fast, she doesn't comp- comprehend it. And so those are part of her struggles as a young person.
0: Uh, why do not you tell me a bit about like uh, with her as a young person? Why don't you tell me a bit about like your family and her childhood? I just want to get it kind of an idea of kind of the environment that Amanda was kind of brought into when she, when she joined your family.
2: Our family How do you explain our family? We were a typical family, right? Um, Amanda's dad and I split up when um, the kids were, I think Amanda was about 10 and um, my son was 13. Um, And then the kids started doing visitations back and forth. And so that had some complexities with it. Oftentimes, for the kid's father, Amanda's dad, and I wouldn't see eye to eye on, on parenting. Mm. And so um, with Amanda being a girl and being high-spirited and being a bit of a challenge, it kind of, um, it was a struggle, like going back and forth. Eventually, Amanda went to live with her dad when um, she was 13. Um, because she felt that my rules were a little too strict and dad's rules would be a bit better and, and meet her needs. Um, when the kids were growing up, it, it was so, it was typical, right? It was, we were a busy family and the, and then their downtime was um, watching movies on TV or, you know, you give them technology time um, and, and what we've learned is that, you know, Amanda took that little bit of technology time and and spun it into whatever happened with her, you know, starts with YouTube and then advances into other things. Um and, uh, and, and Amanda kept up. Now I have to say that she had a birthday, she had a late November birthday, and it was one of those snowstorms on the in the lower mainland in in Vancouver in 96 and it rarely snows out here right Mm -hmm. um but that year that she was to be born it snowed and it snowed and it snowed and I don't know if it made a difference but that little girl had an affinity she always wanted to um find the snow and so every year around her birthday she would be checking the weather report up to A month before to see if it would snow and it might have in her 15 years of her life it probably snowed three times on her birthday wow um and and so in her high spiritedness right she she would one year she had um a bunch of girls over for a birthday party and it started to snow Right. And so she asked if they could go out and if mom could find all the snow gear. Well, there were 10 girls here, right? And so quickly did a, a neighborhood phone call thing and we came up with enough snow gear for 10 girls to go playing outside in the front yard with snow.
0: <laughs> wow. I, I didn't realize the climate was that different there. I would have assumed you got not as much as we would down here east, but I thought you got quite a bit, but wow.
2: No, this this winter. Um, it snowed probably twice okay. and out of the two times we might've gotten in maybe an inch and a half.
0: So three snowstorms or, or three snowfalls during her 15 birthdays. That's like the statistically that's uh, impressive. <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: it is. <laughs> yeah. It is. And um, she was, she was just full of life hmm. and you know what I thought? I thought that as an adult, she would um, definitely create her own business, be out there um, because she was a go getter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one th- like one thing about her that that almost seems contradictory is you describe like in school she had trouble with communication uh, and language, as well as like when you described her having a hard time following the plot of a kind of crappy movie, um, but with a busy plot. But it, it seems like that was also her strong suit. Cause when she like with singing and being on YouTube and doing like kind of the creative stuff, which is a form of communication, it seemed like that is something she excelled at is the, it did. Yeah. How do you Be- explain that? Because
2: your brain's broken up into um, verbal versus nonverbal mm-hmm. right brain, left brain people. And so your right brain is catered to the nonverbal, your artistic, your, your, you know, woodworking trades, um, art, and then your left brain is those individuals who are academically inclined. Mm-hmm. You know, the English majors, the um, engineering majors, the science majors, and so very different. And and so her, obviously, it was her her um, nonverbal right brain that was so much stronger,
0: mm-hmm. um, right. Yeah, and like a lot of people who know her story will know that she was performing songs and singing on YouTube. Was like, was music a big part of her life, or was that just something she was doing to, you know, to put herself out there?
3: You
2: know what she was, she was always singing. Yeah, singing, singing, and drawing and painting, um, even when she was really little. Um, and then the singing calmed her, right? Mm-hmm. I was always amazed because she couldn't remember like when teachers would tell you to memorize a poem or how to do multiplication facts. She could never remember those. I was always amazed how she could remember all the words to a song. Hmm. Right. So that tells you that the the, the brain, the two hemispheres work, definitely work differently. Um, I credit (laughs) And technology is part of that right brain also. And when she was in grade three, she had an excellent teacher who taught the kids how to do PowerPoints and and use technology to express their knowledge, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, And Amanda did really well on that. And she just went a step further and, and figured out at age nine, how to get the camera Who a a camera that took video, not hooked up to Wi-Fi because back then we didn't have those. Um, She learned how to take the the SD card out of the camera, pop it into a uh, laptop computer, download it, then upload it, and then um, share her singing videos. Mm -hmm. Right, and she was she was doing that. And she just wanted to express herself that way. You gotta remember too, way back when she was 10 years old, 11 years old, Justin Bieber was coming, was just rising up, right? And how did he get found? He got found on YouTube by Usher. And mm-hmm. so every young person, little girls, little boy's dream was to be found on YouTube and become famous, just like Justin.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know how much of this is almost like storytelling that the media put together when telling Amanda's story versus how it actually played out. But often there's the story told of her wanting a webcam in you as well as Amanda's dad disagreeing on whether or not she should have one is is the truth to that story? And if so, how did she go about getting a webcam? How did that happen?
2: You must have saw that on the Fifth Estate.
0: I believe so. I believe so, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, I was always against webcams, especially for young people. Um, even now, I am a firm believer that um, sometimes your webcam can turn on by accident. Um, oftentimes, you hear stories where computers get hacked and webcams can turn on themselves. I remember my laptop back in the day that there wasn't even a light to show that the webcam was on, right? And and so um, I was very hesitant on on webcams in my house. Um, unfortunately, her father didn't have a problem with webcams, as he stated on the documentary. So when Amanda moved With him, um, her computer had a webcam.
0: Was it like a significant, like, was this a big deal when she got access to a webcam or was it just something you disagreed? He was okay with it. She got it. It Was it it a big deal? It was okay.
2: It was a big deal for me. Mm. However, we were split at that time.
0: Mm.
2: And um, I don't know if you've had conversations with families that, that, uh, are split oh, and I grew up there, in
0: uh, broken families uh, I get it
2: yeah, there are different rules so mm-hmm. I basically got this was my house i um, from my from amanda's father this you know this is my house these are my rules. you have nothing to do with them
3: mm-hmm.
2: so Amanda would come um, initially she lived with me right so she had access to technology there were no webcams. No, nothing she couldn't right however when she went to her father's house she had access to a webcam
0: mm-hmm. and were you, your concerns with a webcam were they more about like privacy or were you or did your mind even <laughs> go to the possibility of you know my 15 year old daughter on the internet you know could be a victim or were you or, or again was it more like I don't want someone hacking her webcam or something like what were, what were, would have been your fears before this all happened
2: you know, it it wasn't until after um, the, the image of her popped up that I even thought of webcams in that way. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think that um, a young child under 13 needed a webcam. Mm-hmm. What do you need a webcam for, yeah. right? Um, if you want to talk to somebody, pick up the landline, because mm-hmm. we still had a landline. Um, you don't need people seeing you and you don't need to see other people that mm-hmm. that that's was my thought.
0: You I don't know if there's, there's any way to know exactly, but from the point she had, she got the webcam, is there any indication of like how long she was safe before this, before she found herself being, being victimized? Do you have any idea?
2: Well, she moved in with her father when she was 13
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it was, it was that year that she first got the access to the webcam. So she would have gotten access in February of her 13th year. And then I, the police came to my door December of that same year. Wow. And so I would think backtrack it for another four months. And so that was when um, she was
0: being groomed. You you mentioned the police showing up at your door. She was dealing with this, what was happening to her, she was dealing with privately before you were aware of it did you ever did you notice any change in her or was there any like red flags or was this a complete surprise when you found out what was going on like did it seem like anything unusual was happening
2: i was i was blindsided by the RCMP coming to my door but you have to remember that she wasn't living with me mm-hmm. at the time right and so we had um mother-daughter angst <laughs> because she was high spirited she didn't like my rules and so for a long for a little while there she just shut me out of her conversations
3: Mm
2: -hmm. right um according to her dad we didn't he didn't see anything out of the sort Mm -hmm. except that she just was glommed onto her computer and um communicating with others
0: yeah well well tell me about this is how how you learned this was actually happening. Like maybe tell me about, describe the RCMP showing up at your door, you know, what they had to say and what you, how you handled that.
2: Well, they arrived at my door at about 10 30 at night
3: hmm. on December 23rd okay. of
2: 2010. Hmm. And Amanda was um, at her father's. And so We knew that Amanda wasn't online because she had the flu and she was actually hugging a toilet bowl, right, for a few days. Um, Now, whether this Amanda not being online was what angered the predator to put her image on an adult pornography site and then share the link, Um, Hopefully we'll find out, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had received a link on my, on my messaging about this. Um, I did happen to click it and I saw, um, what brought the RCMP to my door was that one of Amanda's friends had seen it and then told her parent who then called the police reported it, and then the police had to do a safety check because it's labeled child pornography, mm-hmm. right? So that's when I had a conversation with the police officer and, and he told me um, what had happened, what was reported. I told him that I had received the link too. And he, because Amanda wasn't here, he had to rush off and um, do the safety check of Amanda at her father's house.
0: Um, right? just when you say you, you got the link, you mean just like someone messaged you on Facebook or something that you someone you didn't know, presumably?
2: Yeah, it was it was in my it was I am in was it what's I am stand for instant um,
0: messaging? So, w- probably Windows Messenger or MSN Messenger is what you're thinking.
2: MS, she was on MSN Messenger,
0: yeah. right? Yeah. Okay,
2: and and said this link's about your daughter, you need to, to see it and know what you're daughter's doing yada yada. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up printing all that out. And so, um, I present, I, I told the RCMP that this was, um, this had appeared and they just told me to ignore it, (laughs) just ignore it. It'll go away. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Easier said than done. And then, um, they, It was Christmas. So um, Amanda started getting messages from her peers. Um, Some some were, are you okay? We saw this. And others were, you're a slut, you're a hoe. Um, We saw your picture. Other people had screen captured it already and were resharing it. Um, Luckily, it was winter break. However, Amanda was really hesitant and really scared to go back to school when when winter break was over and as we know, it was justified.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So, but when you've, but at the point you find out when the RCP show up at your door, it's full blown, it's being sent around to people by, you know, anonymously. So it's, it's all, it's already happening. when do you get a point, to, when do you get the chance to talk to her to get the background on what's been going on? Because there there was like she had privately been handling or trying to handle this herself. Like, Can, mm-hmm. can you describe like when you get the chance to talk to Amanda and find out what she's been dealing with?
2: Well, she did end up coming back to my house, mm-hmm. except she was still sick. Mm-hmm. Right. So she was in no mood to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and bet. she truly didn't want to talk about this because for her, it was embarrassing. Um, She was afraid of what would happen. Because because the answer back then was, you know, if if you do something bad, you get something taken away. And Mm -hmm. she was afraid of losing her technology. So she became a little insolent about sharing what was happening, Mm -hmm. and sort of relegated it to it was nothing. It was nothing. It was, you know, it'll go away. It'll But she was more concerned about her peers now sharing and cyberbullying, bullying, bullying, whatever you want to call it, um, in real life. And that's what predators and extortionists do, right? If you don't do this, then I'm going to share it with everyone. The threats are there so that it builds fear. Now, you have to remember that this whole thing started because Amanda was posting her videos on YouTube of her singing. um, And and the communication on YouTube, because there is that back and forth, it's not a private chat, but it's a public chat, right. Mm -hmm. And then it was you have a great voice, you're really pretty. Um, I'd love to hear more of you singing. Can you sing to my friends? Let's can we move this to to Skype? Because Skype and so they moved all their chats over to a different platform. And then it, it sort of come into this room and, and sing for my friends, but um, little did we know that these weren't 16 year olds, they were adult men, presumably, right? Um, and and that's, was, that was what the online grooming was all about. You gain the trust and then you learn about your victim um, by then your victim is sharing. And, and Amanda, just like a lot of other young individuals, right. They're vulnerable. And initially Amanda didn't know who she was talking to, right. She thought she was talking to us another 16 year 15, 16 year old boy it turns out to be a, an older man.
0: And, and as he's talking to her, he's also learning who her friends are, who her family is in, I can only assume he was doing that as a way to, you know, to use it as ammunition for extortion attempts, because my my understanding is it got to the point where he was eventually, this at this point, an anonymous character was requiring her to perform or do things to prevent him from sharing her image. It, it, is that right?
2: Amanda, I mean, she was vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And it could be, you know, family situations, um, the disabilities that she had herself, the, the ADHD that she had, like everything made her just a prime target, mm-hmm. right? And, and research says that an online predator out there, after talking to an individual for the first minute, couple minutes, knows how vulnerable that person is at the other end. Because if that person shows strength, they'll just move on to the next person.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? It, it it's a goldfish pond out
0: there. All right. So now with with Amanda's story, this initially this photo is shared to various people, including yourself, the RCMP get involved. Was the belief that it was stopped? Like did you feel like anything was was fixed and it was just that photo was out there? And it, and if not, like when did the point come where you're like, "Whoa, this is, you know, still happening."
2: Well, the answer from the RCMP was to take Amanda off the internet,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and so we agreed to do that. Right, give it a rest. Um, Amanda had screen time, but it wasn't it was wasn't internet connected, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then after. After what, two and a half, three months, we decided that we could reintroduce it to her and with guidelines, mm-hmm. right? And as soon as that happened, boom, that image was reshared, and she got recontacted by um, her alleged predator, mm-hmm. saying that you know you need to you need to do more um, shows, or else or else your life will be over and, You saw that on the fifth estate. Mm -hmm. There was a point where I got a phone call from Amanda and she had just received a message saying that from the predator saying that her picture was going to be shared in her new school district and her old school district. Right. And so I worked in her old school district. And so with the help of my administrator, we contacted the, the RCMP and the right people to make sure it sh- to shut it down. And funny enough, a couple of years ago, I was at a conference and I bumped into an IT guy in the school district. Amanda was going to at the time. And he, he told me that, yeah, I remember that story, such a horrible story. I was like, well, I'm her mom. And then the conversation evolves from there. Right. And then he said, I remember that, that, an email coming through that we were supposed to look for this picture of that would come and be shared because you can go online and you can get school district emails. Right. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and this guy did, he, he tried to share it, except it got blocked. Wow. Right. But by, by the IT departments in, in the school districts. So mm-hmm. it didn't go out any further, but he was after her after two and a half months of Amanda being dormant. And, and so Contacted the RCMP again. Keep her off the internet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, and try that again. And and then so now you know we're talking December and then March and then let's go to July. And it was summer, so let her have some social media, right? Some in some technology time. Boom. Happens again, right? Except this time. Um, the predator created a, a Facebook page and used, her, used the image Amanda that he had been sharing of Amanda as a, as a Facebook profile picture until Facebook took it down. Now, my problem was, I clearly remember that July day, Amanda's in a panic, I'm in a panic, and we're trying to figure out a way to contact Facebook to make sure it comes down. That was
0: hard. I bet. Yeah,
2: there was back then there was very few there, I couldn't even find a reporting tool on mm-hmm. it. Right. And eventually it came down because it was child pornography. But for the few hours that it was up, it did enough damage.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I also just think of from her point of view, it's like you'll have these two months where she's off the Internet and kind of away from that. And every time she comes back, it, it's just like he's there. it it almost seems like just, you know, like the shadow following her from experience to experience. So that, that must've really weighed on her. And you, you talked about her changing schools and I understand like there was a lot that was being done to try to help her, you know, get back on her feet, including changing schools. Like I believe the school change was as a result of the bullying she was receiving in real life. Yes. And no, no.
2: Um, some of the school changes were due to her father moving,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? So then she changed schools and then she, her father moved to another community. So then she started school in another community and, and moving schools is really hard, Not especially hard. mid-year. And especially when you're 13 years old. So that, that change was really hard for her. Plus the alleged predator Creating a new Facebook page um, with a persona, and I heard this as a fact, was saying things, to gain friends, he would say, hey, I'm I'm coming to your school and I'm friends with so-and-so and and it'd be great to, you know, be able to walk in on the first day and know some people. Would you, you know, can we be Facebook buddies or whatever? And and then it was, yes, okay, approve right? And as soon as he acquired 200 of, of people that Amanda knew, he shared the image. And so when Amanda starts a new school, that image has already circulated, right? To people she doesn't, some people she doesn't even really know. They're just pe- people on Facebook. And it was when this image continued to be put out there, the, the real life abuse the, the bullying and the cyber harassment continued in real life. And so not only does Amanda have this predator to contend with, she has the real life shit to contend with too. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Was it, it just was, made it really hard. Yeah. That's the, the, like to be 13, 14, be changing schools. That's a horrifying experience as it is then to add you know, this on top of it. And just, I, I can, I can imagine the fear of like, when is this person going to pop up next? And like, although I could never imagine truly what she was dealing with, but I, I can put my, try to put myself there and it's, yeah. You know, and um, she was
2: dealing with school,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? All of a sudden, like in the first school district she went to, she had all the supports for her learning disability. Mm-hmm. And in the new school district, it took them a long time to figure out that she even had disabilities because the files never got transferred mm-hmm. fast enough, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was challenging too, because here she is sitting in a new school with not many people she knows, with a predator after her, with a reputation out there, and not understanding a single thing that's being taught at in class because... Um, she's come in mid, mid-year, wow. right, um, and then she got, so she got known as the dumb kid, the stupid kid, the stupid bitch, right, because she wasn't able to comprehend what was being done in English class, and so it was really sad, it was just a whole bunch of things that built up, and, and it was, I can, I use two scenarios, it's like Amanda was a full onion, and layers were being peeled off her till there was nothing left. And the other thing other scenario analogy is like a balloon where so much pressure was being put on her that she eventually popped.
0: Yeah. And as this is happening I'm assuming there was some search for like who is this predator? How do we stop this person? Did did you have was there ever any indication who this person may have been?
2: No, because in 2010, mm-hmm. like we weren't looking at um, IP addresses and, and the answer was stay offline and things will get better, mm-hmm. right? Um, there, was, there was nothing about doing a search, an IP search. Um, you know, I, I, look at, I look back at it and do I feel angry? Yes. Could more have been done? probably, but there were limited tools and limited knowledge back in 2010. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you think about how much you knew 10 -hmm. years ago, 11 years ago, right? Um, Since then, and and since so many stories like Amanda's have appeared, um, there has been more education and more awareness out there, even for law enforcement. Mm Is there room for more? Yes, there's room for way more.
0: Amanda really did everyone a favor with the video she created. And we'll have to talk a little bit about that is, with everything that she was dealing with, whatever difficulty she had in communication and language, It seemed like there was like a director who was assisting her with finding the perfect way to get her story out there and that's the video that everybody from now has either seen the video or seen a screenshot where she's flipping through the cards and decides to share her story in a way that i i I can't think of another example of someone her age putting something together that was that creative yet effective like it tell me the story of how this video came to be and what you knew about it before, you know, the world saw it, basically.
2: I have to say that a lot of people have asked me if it was a suicide note video, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't. It -hmm. was Amanda wanting to share her story. She was tired of, she created that in the summer of 2012, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: right? So let's go. Backwards in the timeline. So December, 2010, the RCMP arrived at the door. March, 2011, right? New school, but new set of people, new set of young people know about the picture. They bully and cyber bully her. She goes through more anxiety, more stress, more angst. Then in July, it happens again. Then in November of 2011, it happens again, right? Um, February of 2012 Amanda um, gets assaulted by a group of kids um, who also share pictures and make fun of her so the real life harassment continued the predator had stopped in November of 2011 right and so these kids just kept at her kept at her July of 2012, I remember because I was actually teaching summer school at the time, I get a phone call, and Amanda had taken, gotten hold of all her antidepressants and, and taken multiples, right? So I rushed home, we got her to the hospital, and that was declared a suicide attempt, right? From July until September the 8th, or September 7th, she posted the video, September 8th. She stayed in the house. We did walks on our our street, but she never really left the house or my care, my eyes, um, for three months. It was in that three months that, um, being in her room, she hatched out her plans to make this video. I did not know anything about it until she told me, um, the night of September 7th after she posted it, I didn't know. And and when I did watch it with her um, shortly after she posted it, I gave her crap because she put her name on it. You know how you're not supposed to put your name on it. And her words to me was, Hey mom, you know, there's lots of Amanda Todd's in the world, but I didn't show my face. And I asked her why she did it. And she said that she just wanted to tell her story that there were others out there who continued to belittle and harass and slut shame and name call her, that she was just tired of it and she was taking her own voice back. And so this was the way that she was going to take her voice back. Um, um, I, was, I was impressed because with a child with a learning disability, that was a big task in sequencing her story out and remembering it and, and writing it all out, but writing just the right amounts on each card. Mm. Um, and she had no help. She, I can honestly say she had no help. I guess she had all summer to work on this, but um, it, that has become her legacy. Because if she hadn't created that, we wouldn't be talking probably she would have just been another statistic of a young person who died by suicide. And, um, that would be it.
0: Yeah. And I don't think there's even any speculation in saying that, like, I'm, I'm confident that that ensured her story to be shared. And like, I can't even imagine how many people would have seen that video at this point.
2: If you add up all the, all the shares, like all the copies people Mm -hmm. have made to repost, it's about 50 Mm -hmm.
0: Now, with the video being made, how long from the time she shared that video is it that she she passes?
2: She posted the video September 7th. She ended up back in the hospital on September 8th due to an incident, a situation. Um, However, I have to say that she posted it on September 7th after being in the house for three months. Mm-hmm. And she said to me on the morning of September 8th, that she wanted to go out and get her hair done, get her nails done, go to the store, buy some snacks and have some friends over. And they were going to go out for a walk. And I said, like, really out? You like you're, you want to go out and get your hair done? And she said, yes, I'm ready. Cause I shared my story. I, I feel free. Right. And then something else happened. Um, with the peers that landed her back into the hospital again. have um, You know, it, it, it just never stopped. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I
0: in- wish,
2: I wish I, I had probably st- stepped in a bit more forcefully with the, with the peers, knowing what I know now. And so she died October 10th. Okay. And she posted it September 7th. So about five weeks. And ironically, a lot of her friends, like Justin Bieber was in town in Vancouver on October 10th of 2012. Amanda wanted to go, but because of her anxieties, she couldn't. And so many of her friends found out that she had died sitting in the Justin Bieber concert as looking at their messages, because as soon as it got out there, it went viral. Um, and then, because and then, as soon as people, Amanda in Amanda Circle found out, they started resharing her video, which then the media got a hold of, and Amanda landed up on the front page of the Vancouver Sun, right, because of her video. And um, I also believe that because of her video, the BC government got involved, and the investigation was reopened in terms of Amanda and her predator and
3: the real-life bullying, too. We begin tonight with a cry for help, heard around the world but heard too late. Her name was Amanda Todd. She was 15 years old and she killed herself after years of being victimized by bullies, in person and online. Less than a month before her death, the Port Coquitlam teen posted a video telling her heartbreaking story
0: see it now after it's happened. It's it's tough tough to see that. At Reynolds High, you'd be hard-pressed to find a student who hasn't seen it. Since taking her own life Wednesday, Todd's online cry for help has been seen around the world. From tributes to headlines, her story is everywhere, leaving many wondering how such a blatant cry for help could go unnoticed.
2: This girl tried to find a safe place for herself over and over and over.
0: For now and maybe forever, Todd's story remains online—a permanent reminder of how damaging a few strokes of a keyboard can be. How how did you find out about about Amanda? You mentioned her friends were at, at the Justin Bieber concert. From your position, how like how does a parent find out that that happened?
3: Um.
2: I had spoken to her uh, in the early afternoon. Um, she was scheduled for a counseling appointment. Unfortunately, the counselor had a family emergency and had to cancel. And so, um, I called Amanda and shared that with her. Um, I mean, and we—no one can go back in time, right? The what ifs will literally kill you. If, if people go back into the what ifs, mm-hmm. um, I called, I talked to Amanda probably about four o'clock and, and wanted to know how she was. She had been home a few days, um, not feeling well from school and it was Thanksgiving weekend also. Right. Um, I thought there was a situation that happened with an ex-boyfriend that weekend. Um, I phoned her about four. Asked her if she was okay, and did she, I want did she want me to bring home some ginger ale or some ice cream? She said, "No, I'm good, mom. And then uh, we we hung up. And you know what? She she just she did say, "I love you," um, but I never thought anything of it. And then I went to the grocery store and came home, found her called 911, and the hardest thing about uh, is trying to breathe life back into your child when you know you can't. And those images will be in my mind forever, Mm -hmm. right? So that was about 6.30. No, actually 20 to 6.00. Six thirty is when uh, it hit me. Like you're in shock, and then uh, uh, well, the shock actually stays. But it just it hit me at six thirty when you you walk out of into into the street and you see like literally dozens of emergency vehicles there, and you know what they're trying to do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I won't I won't describe what I found because I don't believe it's important.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and when I'm asked to do a documentary and, and people say, Well, can you tell about what you saw when Amanda died? And I'll explain it. And some people look at me like I'm nuts. Like why, why wouldn't you share it? It's because it's not part of my personal philosophy mm-hmm. to share that. And, and if if I had Amanda's friends listening to, say, your podcast or this documentary, I, I really want them to remember Amanda as their friend, as their bright light, as that kid that's running from bush to bush, hiding, playing hide and seek. I don't want them to remember what I saw. Mm-hmm. I am the only person that's seen it and I'm the only person that can spew it out. And so when you go to Wikipedia, they're assuming because I've never really talked about it.
0: Um, And I can respect that a hundred percent. And one one part of this that I think for, for people who weren't following this story when it happened, that's really, I find unimaginable is you deal with this, you find your daughter, you lose your daughter. It seems like it's like, the next day it's international news. And I'm, I'm assuming your, your phone is just ringing off the hook. Like how long from finding your daughter and losing her? Is it that you're there's so many demands for you to give statements and you're seeing her story, you know, everywhere. Cause this, like, at least from my point of view, it seems like it blew up immediately.
2: It did blow up. And then I have, a, I have a very strong network of, of friends and work mm. colleagues. And so I had a house full of people who were making sure that I was okay, that I had a friend who was manning my telephone, my, my landline. I had another one who was um, with my cell phone looking at the messages. And they were, I still have the notebooks that they were taking the messages down on. And mm. so I looked back on it a couple years ago and I, I saw someone had scrawled that Anderson Cooper show had called and want, wanted an interview and um, it was it was incredible like to see Amanda's image on the front page of the newspaper to hear um, her on the news like for a week every day right mm-hmm. um, to see who was calling, I did, I did one radio interview where the um, radio host blindsided me with a question. So that put me off on interviews. If you look, um, most the only interview I really talked to was the Vancouver Sun. Mm-hmm. Every other interview was just regurgitation of something else. And so when... CBC first got in touch with me and, and wanted a full interview. Um, I said to them, if you come back in six weeks, I'll sit down with you. But for now, it's, it's sensationalized. It's sensationalism, right? Yeah. Everyone wants a piece of it. And so I swore that I didn't want to be on the news as in my grief in my shock in my grief um telling amanda's story shortly after her death Mm. i just i wasn't prepared um i wouldn't have been in control um and the news people just want a story Mm -hmm. so cbc did come back six weeks later i did an interview with them and then i approved the fifth estate to do a story
0: too Mm -hmm.
2: They were the only one that came back six weeks later.
0: Wow. You know, one one thing I want to get into as well, we, I know this is something that we've talked about Amanda's story always being, you know, used as examples and brought up again, but she's been in the news or her story's been in the news again, because the quest for justice seems to finally be maybe getting a little closer. Um, What I'd like to hear is like, it, it, After she passed away, I guess the idea of finding the predator seemed pretty far away, like, did you think you were ever going to get a look at, you know, who was largely responsible for a lot of this? Like, did you think he would ever be identified?
2: After Amanda died, we sort of forgot about the predator. I mean, the news cycle brought it up. but after what the RCMP said in terms of, we'd never be able to locate who had done this to Amanda, sort of gave up on it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then in April of 2014, um, I received a phone call that the RCMP wanted to um, meet with Amanda's dad and I, and had some information to tell us. And so, When we met with them, they told us that um, a man had been caught in the Netherlands and um, they were going to lay charges on him against Amanda's case. But he was also charged with victimizing 39 other individuals um, with extortion, money extortion and exploitation also. And so was I surprised? I was very surprised. And... um, I've learned along the way, the like how, how it came to be. Um, if you watch the Fifth Estate, the second Fifth Estate, you mm-hmm. can um, hear it again, how it came to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, everything to do with this person and how he was found, it's like, it's its own separate story. And well, like you said, there was 39 <laughs> other victims were they, was it minors as well? Or was it a mix of people that he was victimizing or, or alleged to be victimizing? I guess he was convicted of some of them at this point.
2: Out of the 39 victims in the Netherlands, five of them were adult gay males. Hmm. And 34 of them were young girls, just like Amanda. And it's assumed that there are more victims out there, Absolutely, um, but they weren't, they couldn't be found because there's still a hard drive that couldn't be broken into. Wow. Right? Um, by, by um, law enforcement out there, or even, however, I don't know if they get Interpol because these victims were from different countries. They weren't just all from Amsterdam. They were from Scotland, the U S Norway, um, the UK. And so it was, it was very, um, glad to hear someone had been caught mm-hmm. and um, how it came to be Canada wanted to trial Aiden Cuban separately so they laid their own charges against him so Amanda's case wasn't lumped in with the 39 victims for oh. that trial she's totally separate.
0: Okay in what do, like, for, for people who haven't been following the story closely, what do you know or what do we know about this Aiden Caban? Like, what is his background?
2: Um, He was about approximately 34, 35 when he was first arrested in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can interject my own opinions
3: mm-hmm.
2: about what he is. However, I'm not sure I can do that right now because okay. there's a pending um trial for yeah. Amanda's case. And it becomes that anything that I say can be used against because I'm projecting. So mm. we can talk again uh, at the end of this year.
0: Yeah. Well <laughs> let's yeah, let's let's say that let's talk about it this way then is he had a trial in he was convicted in the Netherlands for those other cases. He's now in this, I think, surprised a lot of people. He is now either in or on his way to, to Canada to finally face charges for Amanda uh, related to Amanda. Am I am I right with that?
2: He was the court hearing in in the Netherlands was February of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always had the opportunity to decide if I wanted to attend or not attend. And and media was always asking me if I was going to go or not And I Mm -hmm. Initially decided I wasn't going to go because what's the point?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: It was a long ways away. Then in December of 2016, I decided that maybe it would be a good idea to go in case he doesn't end up here, but I wanna see him face to face. And so a group of friends started a crowdsourcing and raised money to get me to Amsterdam. Nice. And I was at the hearing in in February of 2017. Um, I got to see him face to face in the courtroom.
0: What was that um, like?
2: It was different. It mm. was it was easier. I think it'll be different when I see him again when the the trial is here in Vancouver than when I saw him before, because the court cases weren't about Amanda. They were about the other victims. And um, my my heart was with the other victims. And I had sort of left part of Amanda at home, mm-hmm.
3: if that
2: makes sense. Um, I was I was literally about eight feet away from him. It was just eerie. Yeah.
1: It's been more than eight years since 15-year-old Amanda Todd committed suicide. 42-year-old Aidan Coban, a convicted online predator from half a world away, has now landed in Canada to face justice. Global News has learned Koban landed in B.C. December 7th. He made his first court appearance the day after. He is facing five charges in connection to the Todd case, including extortion, possession of child pornography, communication with a young person to commit a sexual offense and criminal harassment. Coban was arrested in 2014 at his cottage in the Netherlands for exploiting dozens of victims from multiple countries luring them to share nude images online. He was sentenced to 11 years in a Dutch jail for fraud and blackmail. Todd's case never tried overseas, her mother now preparing for trial. Coban's arrival in Canada never announced by the B.C. Prosecution Service. His next court appearance, February 12th.
0: you must have like when you heard he was coming here to to face charges like that must have been it was like was that a good feeling where like do you feel like um justice is near like how what are your thoughts going into this new trial
2: well it's closing that circle even more Mm -hmm. right that um there is there will be justice for amanda and we hope that a technicality of something doesn't make it go away. Like
1: mm-hmm.
2: doesn't, doesn't give that um, justice. Um, doesn't take that justice away. I'm not really thinking about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think about it, but I'm not thinking about it until it, it gets closer, mm-hmm. right? Things can be pushed. So things can be detained. It, it's been a, a long wait, um, And if I had held it really tight for the last, since 2014, I would be more of a mess, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to wait and see and make sure that this happens in the fall. And then I'm not really thinking about how I'm going to feel in that courtroom or the, you know, coming up to the first day or even sitting down and writing my victim impact statement. Um, I'll, I'll, think about it as it gets closer. I just can't. I, I can't. It, it, it's hard enough that Amanda stories out there and um, can we continue to talk about it in a good way. But also as a parent, it, it brings up everything. Mm-hmm. And um, it takes a long, it takes a lot of effort to just to bring it back down to a, a normal. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let, yeah, me, now let me end with this is for people who want to support you and support Amanda and follow the story. What is, it, what is the best place to, to access, you know, the current information or, or to get involved in the legacy? Like, where would you recommend people go to, to learn more or contribute?
2: Well, there is amandatodlegacy.org and it's mm-hmm. a website that we have set up. There's a contact button. Um, and I encourage people to contact if they would like a resource or if they, um, need some support or a question answered, um, there's a donate button. Um, there's lots of information on, on resources worldwide related to mental health, related to exploitation, bullying, cyberbullying. Um, and it's not just geared to kids, it's geared to all, because I think that, um, It's all that can be affected. We're also on Twitter. There's under the legacy or under me personally. And on Facebook, it's under um, Amanda Todd legacy, staying strong, or I have a personal account that people can get in touch with me at. We've got Instagram. Um, The world is social media in a positive way. And so we're sharing Amanda's story and whatever safety measures um, come with education and awareness um, through our social media because we can't be everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so we'll make it accessible for all. Mm-hmm.
0: Only other thing is with with Amanda's name and face and story being used far and wide as a sort of cautionary tale, like how, how do you feel she would see this? Like, would she be proud to see her story causing so much you know, positive change?
2: I believe she would. Um, Remember that her whole goal to put singing videos on -hmm. on YouTube was she wanted to be famous one day. Unfortunately, her notoriety came at a price. But um, Amanda is very known out there in the world um, by a lot of people, by young people, by older people, by... Um, those who have experienced similar situations, or parents and kids who have used Amanda's story to share with each other um, situations, and so being able being able to help others through um, Amanda's legacy is is so important. Um, there was a situation the other weekend where um, a lady had contacted me six years ago her daughter had died by suicide in the United States and the mother was just in despair Um, and so she contacted me one night and she was at work her her employer wouldn't let her go to the hospital she was feeling like she was going to end her life and when she messaged me I asked her where she lived and we found her a crisis line which she called and it was a mobile unit so they actually came to her and so the next morning she thanked me because she said if it wasn't for you i wouldn't be alive and so that's all because of amanda's
3: story and her legacy
0: I want to thank you for joining Carol and I in our discussion regarding the life the death and the legacy of her daughter Amanda this story is as horrific as it is cruel but I think it's very important technology has placed vulnerable people like Amanda in a position where they could be preyed upon by unseen forces but by knowing the dangers parents, law enforcement and society as a whole can plan how we deal with it and with that I'll begin wrapping up this episode. But first, I'm going to give some thanks. Carol Todd, your ability to squeeze the positive from this tragedy is nothing short of inspiring. The world is certainly a better place to raise children in, thanks to your work. I thank you for your strength and for your advocacy. Next, a big shout-out to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime. Without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, please consider subscribing to the premium feed. Not only does it make the show possible, it'll give you more of each topic than you're going to find here on the free feed, as I'm adding exclusive content almost weekly. So for about the price of a cup of coffee help keep the show alive by subscribing to the premium feed at patreon.com slash And having said that, let me thank the newest supporters of the show. Christine, Matt, Samantha, Aaron, and Ali, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else out there who'd like to support the show, you can give me a hand by simply sharing the episodes on social media or letting your friends know about what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas or if you want to give feedback on the show, reach me at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. And I'm also on social media using Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I'm live on YouTube most Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sunday nights at 9.15 Eastern. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and please send positive thoughts to Amanda Todd's loved ones as they approach what will certainly be a very challenging trial. The Nighttime
2: Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright, Jordan Bonaparte. If you're a young person and you're assigned a project on cyberbullying or online safety, your Google search will bring up Amanda's name somewhere, somewhere in that Absolutely. list, right? And then it leads people to the videos and they watch it and then they're horrified by it by the story. And and Amanda's is a real story. It's it's not made up. It's not a a Netflix made for made for Netflix movie, right? Mm-hmm. It's a real life story that, that we have to um, we can tear dissect and tear apart and learn from.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um,